This episode is brought to you by Nova 3 Labs. Nova 3 Labs makes supplements to help you crush life more. That's my elevator pitch for this episode. My favorites are Max Adrenal and Max Sleep. Max Adrenal helps the way your body perceives stress. It's going to help you just deal with all the physical and mental stress of your life. I say it all the time. Uh, bills, dropping kids off at school, uh, your dog pooping on the rug, <laughs> uh, hard workouts, uh, five hours of sleep a night or less or even just a little bit more, um, why your friend's cousin Becky didn't like your Instagram post, stuff like that. You should probably just fucking get rid of that shit if that's actually something that's stressing you out and change your priorities. Anyways, Max Adrenal will help your body recover from stress. Uh, that plus Max Sleep has helped me recover and sleep better than I have in years. Max Sleep gives me deep, deep lucid dreams. I don't wake up groggy. I recover better. My muscles feel fuller. That plus Max Adrenal, especially with the, the traveling I do sometimes, is pretty hectic. It's my damage protocol for my job and for life, um, especially once you start getting busy enough. I'm sure most of you are very busy. You need like Max Adrenal and Max Sleep. And then they also make great stuff like Max Capacity, which has you know effective doses of cordyceps. I have a bottle right here, actually. Alpha GPC, Rhodia, Rosea, Rhodiola, so... Even more adaptogens. Max Perform is awesome pre-workout with amino acids and all kinds of good stuff. <clears throat> I like the grape flavor. They also make what's the other one? It's uh, it's almost like a fruit punch. It's also delicious, but the grape is just like blows it out of the water, man. It's awesome. Anyways, go to Nova3Labs.com. Use the promo code AlphaBrew, and you will save fifteen percent off some incredibly high quality. Super effective supplements. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Truist U. Like true, not false. Truist U, Y-O-U, dot com. They make incredibly high quality CBD and hemp products. Two of our favorites are just the CBD drops that they make. Helps with sleep, pain, um, anxiety inflammation, all that stuff. And then they also make their CBD muscle rub, which is unbelievably good. That stuff will help you recover from a fast or a really intense workout. Like right now we're recording during the CrossFit Opens. So all these people have smoked shoulders from like 19.4 handstand walks and strict handstand push-ups. Put that stuff on your shoulders after a workout like that. You will be drastically uh, recovered as opposed to if you did nothing like that. It's also great for injuries too. I use it all the time in my back. Anytime I tweak my back, I put that stuff on there. It heals so much faster. So we're definitely going to have a CBD podcast. I keep saying that, but we'll have Nick Britt on, the uh, founder CEO of Truist U. They also make, re- actually, people don't know this. They actually make really good liposomal supplements as well. So vitamin C, uh, liposomal supplements. If you don't know what that is, it simply allows your body to uh, digest and take in like eight times more vitamin C and other stuff too in the liposomal form. 
They make fantastic stuff. If you go to truestyou.com, T-R-U-E-S-T-Y-O-U.com, use the promo code AlphaBrew, you will save 25% off your order, which is a whopper. And then last but not least, this episode is brought to you by us, Alpha Brew Coffee. We make single origin, no blends, very high quality specialty coffee. Our ground coffee we infuse with nootropics, which is a class supplements that will increase focus, energy, performance, recovery, all at the same time while decreasing jitters and crash associated with caffeine. We also have our best-selling coffee now, which is the Truest Tans CBD. We use Truest U CBD, 500 milligrams per bag. Helps with pain, anxiety, sleep, depression, uh, digestive issues, headaches, migraines, help you recover, help from the lack of sleep that you're getting every night. It is unbelievable. Uh, some people, like I take, I had two cups of coffee in like a, an hour period, and I just feel very relaxed, very calm. Yet under that feeling was like a wood stove, a fireball of energy. It's very, very interesting. Anyways, alphabrewcoffee.com, promo code alphabrew, and you will save 20% off of your order. Our guest today is a icon in the military and law enforcement field. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, 24-year Army officer, ranger, uh, PhD in psychology, and maybe also a degree in history. He conducted research on the psychology of violence and killing, both in the military and out of the military, also the inoculation to violence and how we train currently our military and law enforcement officers to better be inoculated to violence and conduct their job when it matters, when it counts. Super interesting podcast. This is a very important podcast for our veterans and the public in general to help clear the air and explain things about violence and war and combat. So without further ado, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Good rounds, good rounds. Guys, very special guest today. I have... Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, you didn't get promoted for you got out, right, Lieutenant Colonel? You're looking at a prior service buck sergeant who was sincerely surprised to make like Colonel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a huge accomplishment. But um, yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, uh, largely known as the author for On Killing and also the book On Combat, and then your newer books, Assassination Generation and Bulletproof Marriage as well. Um, for those who, I mean, you have a huge, massive following in law enforcement and military, but for those who don't know who you are, could you briefly describe your, yourself and your background? Well, you know, I'm a uh, prior service buck sergeant, Army Ranger, West Point psychology professor. Uh, en route to West Point, I got my graduate degree, and, uh, and I wrote the book uh, on killing. And it's uh, sold half a million copies worldwide, translated to eight languages, Marine Corps Commandant's required reading and required reading in peace studies programs in Berkeley. How do you make Berkeley, the Marine Corps, after the same book? And, and you tell the truth. And, and here's the book in a nutshell, and it's really important. You know, people point some horrible crime. Oh, that, that proves they're all killers. No, no, that, that's an outlier. That's literally one in a million. You explain me that the 99.9% of our citizens in a lifetime never kill anybody and never seriously try to. 
I mean, explain that, divorce, infidelity, layoff, traffic accidents, and less than one in a thousand citizens in a lifetime will even seriously attempt to kill somebody. Inside most healthy members of our species is a pretty hardwired resistance against killing all kinds. Sociopaths don't have that resistance. Healthy people have to be trained to kill. But we found out in World War II, most of the troops wouldn't pull the trigger. It was a training flaw. We're trying to shoot at bullseyes. We have no known cases any bullseyes ever attacking our troops. If you've been in the armed forces since the Korean War, you shot a man-shaped silhouette. Pop in field of view, hit the target, target drop. Stimulus response, stimulus response. Like a pilot in a flight simulator, like a kid in a fire drill, modern training makes killing a conditioned response. And oh, by the way, <laughs> the video games are doing the exact same thing to our kids. We've never seen juvenile mass murders in the school in human history, and now they're everywhere. Three years for Jonesboro, four years for Columbine, and predicted these mass murders are coming. But you know, from a, from a tactical standpoint, for those who prepare themselves appropriately, killing is not that big a deal. It's academic, it's important. But after I got out of the army and started presenting, I teach cops in all 50 states. I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I teach every federal agency, all the armed forces. I just trained uh, 400 Canadian armed forces just yesterday in Shiloh, uh, Manitoba. Um, but my, my next book that evolved, and it's really the most important one that goes in harm's way, is on combat. Issued in the DEA Academy, issued in the Marshall Academy, Marine Corps Commandant's Required Reading. Uh, closing on a quarter million copies sold. And, and it's the critical one. And the whole sheep, the wolf, the sheepdog thing came out of on combat. Absolutely. We, we did the sheepdog kids book. And oh, were, really? I did not know about this. I know uh, what I'm buying on Amazon. Uh, in about Rick, two seconds after we're done. <laughs> it rocks people. It rocks them. Yeah. The uh, co-author is a, uh, is, a, is a cop's wife and an NCIS wife. And uh, we tested it down to, to kindergarten level. Uh, a cop the other day told me his three-year-old made it read it to her every night. But the bigger wow. kids read it. And then they read the sheep, the wolf, and the sheepdog essay in the back. And that is life-changing. So uh, as you said, my most recent book then is... Uh, is assassination generation came out from little brown uh, two years ago gave a copy to the president of the white house has in, invited to the white house for uh, uh almost a year ago after the parkland massacre as part of the round table on violent video games and my most recent book is this uh assassination or uh, the, <laughs> the bulletproof marriage uh, 90 day devotional for those of you that are spiritually focused uh it's just a great resource for for uh, or the, the two, you know, uh, uh, you and your spouse to get together and dig deeper into your relationship uh, from a spiritual standpoint. And uh, so that's me. Uh, I'm 62 years old. Uh, I retired from the army 21 years ago, and I've been on the road two, three hundred days a year for for 21 years. I get home uh, to my high school sweetheart, my bride of 43 years, one or two nights a week, conjugal visit, clean underwear, back on the road. Uh, <laughs> so have, uh, besides just a lifelong. Um a lifelong career in the military, I mean, you have quite the educational background to combine that with for research, correct? Could you elaborate on that as well? Yeah. Been able to touch a lot of lives, Ricky. A lot of lives. Now, you go by Ricky, right? Sorry. I do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's been a good feeling. And I have a sense of urgency. It's my prayer that I can keep doing it for another 20 years. Yep. Uh, I'm shooting for 80. Throttle back at 70 or 80. But meanwhile, we'll keep rocking it. <laughs> Cool. So that's, I guess we'll touch back on, I guess a lot of, I think a lot of people now might have the same agreement that yeah, the, the violent video games and the violent TV shows and movies 
are not the greatest for young children, young adults to see, I think. But what's shocking is that many people may not realize, thanks to things like Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan, is that up until very recently, most most troops, most soldiers, uh, actually still did not actually kill or shoot directly at the enemy. And I think a lot of people have a very hard time accepting that or believing that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Well, you know, we, we see that in on killing. Uh, I really, it's been chapter after chapter on on killing, outlining that resistance. You know, it's the same reason why, you know, uh, uh, most people have never killed anybody. I mean, you've been red with rage, you, you thrown things, you shouted, you screamed, you, but you didn't grab a steak knife and kill them. You didn't gouge their eyes out. You didn't leap on them and strangle them. Or at least if you did, you hid the body really good, yeah? And, and why didn't you do that? At that moment of truth, you're red with rage, right? You're, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you kill that person? Come on, you were, you were out of control. Why didn't you kill them? I, it seems like, you know, dropping bombs from 10,000 feet is no problem. Firing artillery from two miles back is no problem. And it's a funny dynamic. If there's a leader standing over you demanding you fire, most people will fire. But left their own devices, key weapons like a flamethrower, a BAR, where everybody in the unit knew if it was firing. It almost always fired. Uh, cruiser weapons, where you had a gunner and a sister gunner, almost always fire. But left to their own devices, when there's nobody standing over their shoulders, and man, they fire. Left their own devices when nobody else knew what was happening. Most of them just wouldn't pull the trigger. And a lot of them historically would fire high. We see this just this, this, uh, this, this volley dynamic. Our Dante Pete talked about it 200 years ago in the French army, we, in the Franco-Prussian War. This, this, this hysteria dynamic, which they're firing into the air, this dynamic in which uh, there's, the closer you get, the greater the resistance. Uh, uh, when you read on killing, which has really been, you know, it's, um, it, you know, like, you know I, I, was, I was at an academic thing a while back, and they, they honored this retiring academic. They said his work has been cited in over 200 scholarly works. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. How do you figure that out? I'm going to Google uh, Google Scholar, and you look up your, your book and see how many people cited it. Over 2,300 people have cited on killing in scholarly works, and, it, and it's just beginning. So, uh, I mean, we kind of laid that foundation. Read the book if you have trouble wrapping your mind around that resistance to killing. Track it throughout history. I actually do a section in uh, on combat, and, and, and we we actually broke it out as a separate uh, sub book for a little bit available. But it's a section that talks about the evolution of combat from a standpoint of ever better ways to empower people to kill. The phalanx was the first kind of uh, cruiser weapon. The, the, the Roman model of the, of the centurion who's walking back behind the line, the demanding killing behavior, and, uh, and, and then working up to, uh, you know, the, 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 why, why did clumsy, slow-loading, inaccurate, muzzle-loading arbicuses, why did muzzle-loaders replace the, the, the longbow and the crossbow? Now, the longbow and the crossbow had many times the rate of fire, many times the accuracy, many times the accurate range. But on the battlefield, if you're going boom, boom, and the other guy's going, going, the doinkers lose every time. Uh, the psychological, Napoleon said in war, the moralist to the physical is three is to one. The psychological factors are three times more important than the, than the physical factors. And of course, Napoleon, the great master of battle, always had more artillery than anyone else. And the artillery has always been the great killer, the crusade weapon. We can work on through history 
Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a neat thing to look at. I think your listeners would be, hey, you know, let me take a minute to say something about your listeners. You know, I, I love these podcasts. I do a lot of these podcasts. We get lots of time. And I honor people that do the podcast, and I honor those who listen to it. You are people who are, who are seeking deeper knowledge and to, to find deeper information. You're not satisfied with a, with a three-minute blurb on the news. You're not satisfied with a, with a six-inch column on, on, in the paper or in the news. You're, you're seeking deeper. And I, uh, I take just a minute to honor you and honor your listeners for, for putting this in a podcast environment where we can talk about these kind of things. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think it is swinging that way where people just want an authentic conversation about in-depth, complex topics just like this. And I guess for those who haven't read the book, you mentioned statistics where like I have some here that I, I just reread on killing the officer to prepare for this is that, you know, more than 50,000 bullets were fired in Vietnam for every Viet Cong fighter that was killed. And that's even a vast improvement as opposed to, you know, the Civil War, World War One, World War Two. I know you mentioned in on combat, um, you know, we let's say like we talk about uh, a movie like, you know, was it Patriot with Mel Gibson, the Revolutionary War, where they actually do show the old school formations where people or formations are advancing closer and closer. And every shot that happens, like multiple men are getting hit each time. And in your book, you pretty de clearly define or outline that like that was actually not the case, even though they, pr you, you know, you proved in the book that those muskets were actually fairly accurate, you know, um, a really accurate, um, a really accurate hit rate when they were fired on targets, right? Not actually in combat. So then, but that the math, you know, the studies were done and only like what you said about one or two people were killed every volley. Is that correct? So a pretty yeah, little bit of, of accuracy in combat, but the, the weapon itself was incredibly accurate for the time. At, at those ranges, the weapon had much greater capacity for accuracy. Yes. We're seeing a lot of people weren't firing, a lot of people that were firing high. Uh, they're, they're, we think of these these battles in the civil wars, you know, they approach within a very short range, 30, 30 yards, 30 meters or so, uh, and they blaze away at each other for hours. They blaze away for hours until finally there's enough attrition that, that one side begins to break down. And, uh, and, and so this idea, you know, if, if everybody was firing up to the full capacity, they, they, they would just be shredded with just a couple of volleys. Exactly. Our image of warfare is so completely flawed from what the reality shows it to be. And, and that's back to Napoleon. The moral is to the physical history is to one of the psychological factors or critical factor. Yeah. And, that, and that's like you mentioned earlier as well. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. You would, do you take the assumption that people are good? People are actually not that at least today, they are in the recent history are not very violent by nature. Yeah, and and I wouldn't necessarily say people are inherently good. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. we can be pretty vicious people, and we, but but people, when it comes right down to killing your own species, we slam head on into a hardwired resistance. You know, rattlesnakes will sink their fangs in anything except another snake. And, uh, and piranha will, will sink their teeth and anything hits the water, but they fight each other flicks of the tail. Animals with antlers and horns and their territorial and mating battles almost never kill each other. They slam head to head in the most harmless fashion. And the loser staggers off and next year he gets his chance to be the one that donates the genes into the process. But against any other species, animal with antlers and horns go to the side, they cut, they gore, they're for the kill. 
uh, any species that didn't have that hardwired resistance built into them and their territorial and mating battles would be destroyed by, by, by their own interspecies uh, uh, slaughter. So it's really comparatively rare. Uh, it, it does occur, but it's amazingly rare that members of their own species systematically on large scales kill each other off. Uh, and, and that's that hardwired resistance. Like I said, dropping a bomb from 10,000 feet, no problem. When you're close and you're angry, the forebrain shuts down, you're a frightened, angry human being, the midbrain takes over, we slam into that, that safety net, if you will, that exists there in that midbrain for most healthy members of our species. Sociopaths, to a certain degree, don't have that. And, uh, and, and that, that's, that's a different dynamic. Where do you think that midbrain hardwired resistance comes from? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I would like, I would imagine that like, you know, if we go back to like a more like a paleolithic era where we were hunters and gatherers and we survived in small tribes, you needed that tribe to survive. And back than that. really there's some kind of a, I mean, you know, uh, it, it's something that uh, piranha have and snakes have and, uh, and all, you know, almost all horned animals have. And so, uh, you know, what, what one, one study said that, you know, man doesn't have an inherently killing instrument built into his body, so we don't have that resistance. And then when we look deeper, we say, yes, we do have that resistance. So we, it's something that exists at, uh, at many, many, uh, if you will, less evolved species. And, and it must have happened uh, quite a ways back in our developmental dynamic, I think. Could you explain that you mentioned earlier about the piranhas and the rattlesnakes, those steps that you outlined in on killing in terms of uh, posturing and then the steps that are involved in that? You know, what we're going to do is I got about, we got, uh, we got fight or flight. We all know about fight or flight, but then there's posture and submit. And you know, uh, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and actual, uh, uh, same species battles. You see a lot of posturing, and then one of the other submits, and then and then we're done. Uh, the, the the actual degree of, of fighting to 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 do tissue damage to directly life ending or life threatening tissue damage fighting type dynamic is really quite rare. Most of what we call fighting in nature, you know, we talk about mating battles and territorial battles. Most of those battles are in actuality. Uh, more uh, posturing and submission dynamics going on. Uh, I mean, you know, de developmentally, there's no sense in you and you actually going for the kill uh, in order to get these mating rights. Just hang around another year. He'll get old. You'll defeat him. He'll wander off and you'll get your chance. Uh, and so this, uh, this dynamic of posture and submit and, and is really much more uh, representative of what's happening inside of that, that kind of environment. And I think people can easily recollect. I mean, there's, there's probably like a hundred thousand new videos every day on YouTube, and like the the most famous one among like the younger culture now is like World Star Hip Hop, where it's like mostly fights and shenanigans like that, where we see posturing a lot um, pre-fight and even just in every day. Like I'm in the Northeast, it is of the culture in the Northeast for especially males to posture a lot, like the tough guy stare, 
um, the trash talking, the kind of Keeping that the jacket off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The middle finger, like, who are you? Like, yeah, I'll mess you up uh, in a more vulgar fashion. But that, I mean, that's the posturing. Yeah. This is important. Ricky. The thing to realize now is we can overcome that resistance with training and, and modern military and law enforcement training overcomes that resistance with the firearm. But the video games do the same thing for kids. Now, the thing to realize, and this is important, the murder rate is being held down by medical technology. The docs are saving ever more lives every year. Mm -hmm. We had uh, World War II level medical technology in Afghanistan. We'd have 10 times as many dead American troops. And the same thing is true in our streets. If we had Vietnam level medical technology in Iraq, we'd have at least four times as many dead American troops. The same thing true in our streets. So the number of dead people underrepresent the problem. The, the willingness to inflict serious damage has gone way up through media violence and especially the violent video games. And now with virtual reality, we're killing with swords and knives and we're developing a much more capacity for that. But take a look, this is, you know, I train cops in all 50 states. I train every federal agency. And I want you to take a look at the number of people murdered in America. Now, the, a, a, the population goes up and the number of people murdered goes down. Mm -hmm. And that's medical technology. It's medical technology doing its job. And then in 2015 and 2016, the murder had exploded for two years straight, like nothing we have ever seen in the history of our nation. For two years straight, the number of dead people in our streets from homicide exploded. Uh, in spite of technology saving ever more lives those years. Uh, the, we built up to this for a very long time. The kids who gave us Jonesboro, the middle school, Columbine in the high school, Virginia Tech in the college, they're, they're coming up through the pipeline with the capacity for violence in each generation, worse and worse. But you know, part of this, the FBI calls in, the Ferguson effect. They say one of the things the media has done is create a sense of anger in our criminals. Like somehow the cop's the bad guy for enforcing the law. You know, maybe I'm a burnout old geezer at 62 years old. Maybe I lost it. I always thought if you're criminal, you live your life in fear. You're criminal. You should be paranoid. The world really is out to get you. Yeah? But we've got whole states and cities telling criminals you don't have to obey the law. Sanctuary states and sanctuary cities, and maybe they're doing the right thing, but we pay a terrible price when we tell criminals and citizens that you don't have to obey the law. Here's a quote from a Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis. He says, crime is contagious. He said, uh, if the government becomes a lawbreaker, if the government is telling you to break the law, it breeds contempt for law. It invites every man to come along to himself and invites anarchy. And that's really what we're looking at. And it is a worldwide dynamic. Latin America is being eaten alive. Latin, you know, these refugees coming across our border, this, this is new. And they're, they're truly fleeing hyper-violent civilizations. Mexico has more loss of life than Iraq and Afghanistan put together. And Mexico is not even close to the worst case. Mexico is far better off than a lot of other nations in Latin America. This, this dynamic of, of interpersonal violence being inflicted upon our own civilization, of, 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 of the, the violent television, the violent movies, and especially the video games, empowering violence, uh, and, and then the sleep deprivation that comes with that whole package is really threatening the very fabric of our civilization. And again, we, we talk about that a lot in Assassination Generation. So to backtrack, the, is the FBI is theorizing that in 2015, 2016, the massive increase in homicides and murder is due to the effect that 
uh, that was that had had happened on at Ferguson with the riots and the lack of response by the local government there. See, what, what, what they, they call it the Ferguson effect. It's just a long-term dynamic. And we've been building up to this, you know, where the kids who gave us Jonesboro, the middle school, call them out in the high school, Virginia Tech in the college, they're coming through the pipeline and each generation is more violent and, and more predisposed to these acts. But the, um, the idea of the Columbine or the, or the Ferguson effect, the media, you know, for the first 10 years after 9-11, there was all 9-11 heroes and, uh, and, 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 you know, Saving Private Ryan and, and Black Hawk Down and, uh, and Band of Brothers. And, and then after about 10 years or so, the media started saying, well, the bad man's gone. And we, we don't need to worry about the bad man. There is no criminal out there. Uh, you don't have to worry about criminals. Uh, our problem is out of control cops. Uh, you don't need a gun. You would just hurt yourself. And so this this whole anti-cop dynamic of the media, you know, between between the three shifts on any given day in America, there's half a million cops on duty, every one of them being videotaped. Mm -hmm. What are the odds, month after month, one of them does something stupid, or at least looks stupid out of context on the video. And then you put that video on TV night after night after night. And that's the Ferguson effect, where we, we attack our cops and we uplift the criminals and you know, and, and then you get this dynamic of, uh, of empowering criminals at the, at the national level, saying that, that, that you don't have to obey the law. If you're, if you're not a lawful member of our society, you don't have to worry about immigration laws. We're, we're a sanctuary state. And so this dynamic of, uh, of, of, of telling citizens we don't have to obey the law, this dynamic of, of attacking the police officer and, and immediately taking the side of the criminal, uh, this whole dynamic is uh, is extraordinarily harmful to our civilization, and, and, and it's based at a group at, at our youngest days. Name me one cop movie didn't have a bad cop in there somewhere. We all cheer when the bad cop dies. You know, Denzel Washington, Training Day. I seen Training Day. Denzel's a bad cop. They're all bad. Yeah. And and and, and instead of you know, in, instead of uh, Marshall Dillon and Gunsmoke or One Adam Twelve or Sergeant Friday, we've got we've got. Uh, we've got the, the Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Sons of Anarchy and, and whatever. And then we've got Grand Theft Auto V, the all-time record best-selling video game in history, which is a straightforward criminal simulator. Uh, we, we couldn't have done a better job. The, uh, the member, uh, gang membership in America went from 1 million, roughly 1 million, the FBI estimates, in, in 2009 to probably somewhere around 2.5 million true blue full-time criminal gangbangers today. In, in just a decade, we've we probably well more than, than doubled the number of full-time true blue criminal gangbangers. When I was a kid, I sincerely wanted to be Marshall Dillon. Today, I'm, I'm a reserve cop. There's too many kids out there that truly want to be the Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, and the gang loaded into Grand Theft Auto. So the Ferguson effect is just a a, a one-off way to talk about this this complete breakdown of our civilization created by the media uh, taking the side of the criminal and and uh, and 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 depicting our cops as out of control uh, bad guys all by themselves. So this this is part of the dynamic. How the, the media they will tell us the commercials are worth billions of dollars. The commercials influence our behavior. What's in between the commercials? have no impact on our society. Now, that is truly the greatest lie. It's the big lie. I mean, it's the media's big lie. Uh, and it's like, you know, the Nazis idea, the big lie. You just take the big lie, you say it often enough, 
and everybody believes it. And it, it's so intuitively wrong. The commercials are worth vast amounts of money. What's in between the commercials? I don't went back to our society. Come on, how stupid do you think we are? Yeah, that's that's a very good point. I mean, I I can test to that personally. I am, you know, I'm a federal law enforcement officer. I I train plenty of law enforcement officers as well, and I have friends who, um, I get sent every time, you know, a seemingly innocent or unarmed criminal is shot, or a person who is, quote unquote, not doing anything gets shot. Almost entirely, almost every single time, it makes a high profile case nationally. As soon as you start breaking it down. And as soon as I have to explain to my friends, listen, that person, one, was armed, and then two, had just committed a crime, most likely, and then three, they either pulled the weapon out and was pointing it toward a law enforcement officer, and they forced them to make a choice between their own safety and the safety of the public, um, or choosing to use lethal force against that person, or they made a gesture that was, you know, in the moment, any, like, the courts favor this, and they favor it for a very good reason, is that any officer, any reasonable officer is operating in the moment, not in hindsight, in the moment, so when somebody reaches for their waistband or reaches for something, and they're uh, suspected or known to have a weapon, you can't be blaming law enforcement officers for Even more important than that, That, that's, that's absolutely correct, but they say, well, look at all these unarmed people being shot. Well, what you don't realize is a cop cannot lose a fight. If it's a, it's a one-on-one fight and the cop's losing, uh, well, what happens when the cop loses a fight? He takes your gun, he kills you, he murders you. This, you. You do not have a fair fight with a cop. When the cop's losing the fight, he's got to go straight to deadly force. He doesn't have a choice. Oh, he was unarmed. He was beating a cop to death. And uh, he, yeah, in the, case of, in the case of Ferguson, too, I mean, you know, the, 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 the person who was shot was what was he? It was like six, seven. He was, he was a massive. So the, Over 300 pounds. yeah, the, it's like the, the bias that somebody unarmed is not lethal. Yes. Go talk to, go, go, go yes. into any jujitsu gym in the, uh, you know, tens of thousands of them across the nation and, and tell none of those people they're lethal because they don't have a weapon in their hands. That's I mean, their, the hands, their hands are their weapons. That's uh, the core lie right there. Yeah. That these people are unarmed and therefore they have no right to shoot them. So the, you know, the lesson is don't attack a cop, don't fight with a cop, you know, yeah. and, and do what the hell they tell you to do, you know, confront the situation in court of law. But yeah. we've got this culture that says you don't have to do what the cop tells you to do. And that, at its gut level, is getting people killed. Uh, you put them in these deadly force situations, the cops not killing them. Their action, which was created by this media dynamic that you don't have to do what the cop tells you to do, has created this, this, this terrible, terrible, harmful dynamic within our civilization. And, and, and it is worldwide. We got four Mounties murdered in, uh, in, uh, in Mayerthorpe a couple of years back. We got three Mounties ambushed, murdered in Moncton. Mass murder of law enforcement in Mexico. We see 20 dead cops here, five dead cops there, six cops beheaded here, 10 cops beheaded there. Across Latin America, across America, across Canada, around the world, the mass murder of law enforcement has become the norm. Uh, every year, and this, every year, cops have the better body armor, better tactics, better training, better medical technology, holding down the number of dead cops. The only good assessment of the problem is the year-over-year increase in cops murdered. In 2016, we had the single worst year-over-year increase in cops murdered in the history of our nation. Five dead cops in Dallas, four dead cops in Baton Rouge, onesies and twosies across America. There have been a lot of bad, you know, number of cops murdered goes up and then down, up and then down. 
and, and announced hit a new up uh, with, with 2016. Bad times, crazy bad times. It's like you said, I mean, even in the last, um, I guess, over 10, uh, almost 10 years that I've been out now, the medical technology has drastically improved even in the last 10 years. So that, that to speak that like the medical technology and, and body armor, tourniquets and training has gotten better, yet you're saying the law enforcement uh, murder rate has gone up. And I remember 2016, it was, that was a very, it was a very um, tumultuous year for the law enforcement community because of all those attacks happening. It put a lot of us on our toes about ambushes and, and whatnot. But yeah, for people who like always talk about well, he was he was unarmed. Why they shoot him? Like you know, if a cop is giving you orders, they have the authority to take away your freedom and ultimately your life. So when they tell you to put your hands up and you reach for your waistband or you reach for your pockets, um, you know, action is always faster than reaction. So if somebody reaches in their waistband and you're gonna wait for them to see if it's a cell phone or a gun it's going to be too late and you're going to, you know, you might, they might not miss and they might hit you. And it's you know, now you already have, now you already have a gunshot wound and you have to, you have to react to that. So people don't, the civilian, uh, the civilian population doesn't quite understand that. Another angle in all this now. Let's come back around to the whole dynamic from another angle. And that is the absolute chronic uh, epidemic of sleep deprivation in, in our civilization. 18 hours without sleep and your impaired judgment equal to 0.08 legal drunk. 24 hours without sleep, your impaired judgment equal to 0.10 above legally drunk. After two nights without sleep, and we got a lot of people out there, they're in this state. After two nights without sleep, you are psychotic. Any graduate of Army Ranger School will tell you about hallucinations on the third day without sleep. And we are in the middle of this epidemic of sleep deprivation or civilization. And, and, and here, here's what we know. The, the video games are digital crack. Uh, there are 200 million people playing Fortnite. Now, 0.5%, we do this and they say, ah, good time to see, save the game and quit. So they never do that again. We do this and absolutely nobody quits. So they do more of that. You got to understand, it's an interactive algorithm constantly running to know just the right plot, just the right flicker rate, just the right color pattern to make that game impossible to turn off. And, uh, and the social media and, and, and the, the cell phones. So we know that one of the greatest predictors of suicide is sleep deprivation. In the U.S. military, in the active duty military, we track every suicide. Our suicides in the active duty military have nothing to do with combat. A non-combat vet is likely to take life as a combat vet. But a sleep-deprived person can be up to five times more likely to take their life. Now, we always knew alcohol and sleep deprivation was related. Alcohol creates impaired judgment, make a bad decision, uh, and they get a chance to rethink it. Russia, when the communists were in control, had one of the highest suicide rates on the planet. And Russia led the world in bringing suicide down by strictly rationing alcohol. The communists collapsed, free enterprise, alcohol for everybody, Russia's suicide rate exploded. In recent years, the Russians have led the world in bringing suicide down. How'd they do it? Absolutely, strictly limited alcohol. Wow. It's impaired judgment. But what we're looking at is an impaired civilization with sleep deprivation. And here's if, if your listeners only listen to one thing today, he's parenting one-on-one for the 21st century. 
When you send your kid to bed at night, take their cell phone away from them. No laptop in the room, no cell phone in the room. They have got to go to the room and sleep. A cop told me, a cop told me, he said, I, he said, I had a good girl. He said she was an A student. She said, Dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. You can trust me. He said, so I trusted her. Let her keep her cell phone. He said, a little while back, a little while later, she took her life. And he said, I never knew the hell she was living in until we looked at the text messages on her cell phone. And there was night after night of ceaseless, relentless, vicious bullying. And you don't understand. He said, well, just turn it off. Just ignore that bully. You can't do that. You know they're out there. You know they're saying these terrible things about you. And, and she's up all night long, night after night, trying to confront this attack, trying to find somebody to stand up for herself. He said, my little girl was sleep deprived and tormented to death. And I let it happen. He said, the one thing on earth I could have done for her is take her cell phone every night, let her turn off all the bad stuff in this world. He said, I can't ignore that text message in the middle of the night. How do we expect our kids to? And traffic deaths. Decade after decade, traffic deaths have come down. Airbags, seatbelts, technology. Now, worldwide, suicides are up. Suicides are way up. Teen suicides have exploded worldwide. Tween suicides. They call them tweeners, 10, 11, 12. Teenage girls, the suicide rate has doubled in, in just the last, or tripled in just the last 10 years. But traffic deaths, the greatest predictor of traffic deaths is alcohol and sleep deprivation. If your kid's up all night long playing these addictive video games, if your kid's up all night long uh, on the cell phone text messaging, when they get behind the wheel the next day, the probability that that child will die is exploded exponentially. And then drug overdoses, the three major killers for kids, traffic death, uh, uh, suicide, and drug overdoses. Just taking drugs is impaired judgment right there. You add impaired judgment to drug dynamics. And one other little aside, the opiate epidemic. Prescription opiates are not new. You got to say, what's the new factor? Sleep deprivation creates chronic pain. And the chronic pain is what's happening. And Doc, I, I heard all the time, give me a pill to fix it. <laughs> you don't need a pill, you need more sleep. And you need good, deep cycle sleep. Yeah. That's where coffee is so good for us, tea is so good for us. But after about lunch, you got to switch to decaf and, uh, and, and limit that because. When there's caffeine in our body, it prevents us from having this deep cycle sleep. And that's where the muscles relax and the tendons relax. And it's also where all of the garbage gets flushed out of the brain. We've known for decades that lack of sleep and bad quality sleep is a key factor in Alzheimer's and dementia. And just two months ago, major studies showed lack of deep cycle sleep is a key predictor of Alzheimer's and dementia. So this business of getting good quality sleep you know, the, the idea that you're, you're the blue light on your screen, you're playing video games with that vivid blue light, your cell phone, put your cell phone, put your computer on yellow light all the time. There's a sleep app now. All the Apple products I know have it. My cell phone's always on sleep. My computer's always on sleep. And, and that, that, that blue light as you go into bed, is, it's just killing you. And sleep in a truly dark room. And, and coffee is just about one of the best things you can put in your body. Coffee drinkers across the board, recent research, replicated, nailed down. Coffee drinkers across the board are living several years longer than non-coffee drinkers. And tea's right behind it. But here's what we As know. it should be. It should be, it should be under coffee. Coffee should always be number one. So yeah. um, my, yeah. my audience is so healthy. 
Otherwise, <laughs> it is. But here's the key. One or two normal cups of coffee at, at breakfast. One or two normal cups of coffee at lunch. Then switch to decaf and have all you want. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is this. Go cold turkey right now. Cut off all caffeine for one day. If you get withdrawal symptoms as living proof, you're abusing the drug. When you need it, it will not be there for you. Yeah. And what's eating us alive, Ricky, is these, 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 uh, these energy drinks. Uh, you know, we've been at war for, for 17, closing on 18 years now. For the first 15 years, we passed out energy drinks like water. They gave us gave the truths. And then two major Department of Defense-wide studies on the energy drinks. There is now a complete ban on energy drinks. Uh, their powerful research shows us that energy drinks and PTSD are completely related. I think the energy drink creates sleep problems, and that's the cause of the PTSD, whatever that may be. We know that energy drink and PTSD are strongly, strongly related. In some way, those energy drinks are creating a state that makes you more vulnerable to PTSD. The energy drinks give you a one-hour burst of physical ability, like for a soccer game, and then you crash. All that's in that energy drink is a mega dose of caffeine and some stuff that help you metabolize it faster. The folks, you know, the, the sodas are sugary poison. Uh, the diet sodas are chemical poison, and the energy drinks are condensed poison. Why would we put all that stuff on our body when coffee and tea, juice, water are so dang good for us? And then if you use caffeine appropriately, when you need it, it'll be there for you. You're driving your family home from vacation. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Do you nod off and drive off the road and kill your family? Or is caffeine there to help you because you didn't abuse it? Yeah. This is when caffeine's there for us. When, when we can use it to, uh, to, 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 to help push the envelope when we need to. Uh, and, and use it rarely, you know, maybe once a week to caffeine and have a good evening and, 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 and then use it appropriately the rest of the time. That's, we, why, uh, that's why we put nootropics in that coffee because people just think more coffee is the answer. Like you said, it doesn't take a lot of caffeine to become physically addicted to it. So we just took a different approach and put the nootropics in there for a longer lasting, better energy and focus and like less or no crash at all thus not requiring additional coffee. Um, and that's like you said, bringing it back to the point of, there's been numerous studies on the effect of the, the risk that you have for someone to um, have PTSD and the amount of sleep that they get. And now, I mean, what, a third, over a third of this country are on anti-anxiety and depression medication. So, you know, how like Ambien, I think we've, we've you know, discovered Ambien doesn't really give you deep restorative sleep that you're talking about that needs to happen. It just simply knocks you out. So if you're doing so that. I think Ambien going to make up for these mega doses of caffeine. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you one thing though, I, I'm big on the whole longevity thing. I'm 62 years old and I'm really doing great. Just driving on good energy and pretty good health. And now, when we study longevity dynamics, melatonin, just some little doses of melatonin can be one of the best things to do. I'm a huge science geek. I, I, I train the F-22 and F-35 squadrons, and the, and, the, and the flight surgeon is always there, and everything I do is cross-check with these guys. I, my favorite website is sciencedaily.com. I check it every day through every category. And, and we're beginning to realize that this, this, this irrational uh, 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 you know, a lack of, of, of judgment. This, it's impaired judgment with sleep deprivation has become the norm for our civilization. Suicides, traffic deaths, and then just anger. People reacting irrationally. 
when you get this sleep deprivation, you get these mega doses of caffeine and, 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 and lack of sleep and bad quality sleep. Uh, we, we're paying as a civilization a terrible price for this. And we got to get it under control. And we got to stop just saying it's all because of the cops. Uh, and the truth is just the opposite. You, I mean, you'd mentioned it in On Killing, I think, that uh, the government even realized that the amount of psychiat- like psychological or psychiatric casualties in war was great, far greater than those killed. And they found out it was because of the sustained fatiguing combat tours they were given, guys, without a lot of rest um, right. in they between. about that is it was a temporary state. Give them a break, also get their feedback on the ground. They don't all have PTSD, they, they, all have, they haven't all become Section 8. But that's another topic, a hard time stuff I'd like to talk about. You and I mentioned it earlier, this myth of our broken veterans. You know, uh, uh, we, we've all heard the figure, 22 veterans a day take their life. But most people don't know of that 22, only one or two are from the current war. Of course there's other veterans, of course there's other wars. With the word veteran, in America means anybody who served in the armed forces. In the 50s and the 60s, we drafted everybody. Uh, uh, Elvis Preston, Elvis was a veteran. Elvis was drafted. And so when you talk about those suicides, they're almost 60, 70, 80-year-olds that we're seeing. You know, this is a, this is a, a Gallup poll that, that tells us that 24% of all adult American males are veterans. Wow. And when you get up with these 70, 80-year-olds, they're, they're, they're running like, like 70% veterans. Wow. And, uh, and that's where the suicides are happening. Uh, now, one suicide is too many, but the idea they're all suicidal is a lie. And, and they're all homicidal. No, they're not. Every cop ought to know a, a solid fact. Statistically speaking, the returning veteran is less than a tenth as likely to commit a violent crime as a non-veteran of the same age. Isn't that like a baseline data that every cop ought to know? Statistically speaking, that our veterans are less than a tenth as likely to commit a violent crime, and then PTSD. You know, I, I, uh, I've got an uh, article here straight from the VA website. It's uh, uh, Public Health, PTSD in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and what it tells us is 11%, uh, what, what it tells us is 16%, 15.7% of the veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan have PTSD. 11% of the ones who didn't deploy have PTSD. About 5% of our troops contract PTSD. The British studied their troops in Afghanistan, 5%. The Dutch studied their troops in Afghanistan, 5%. You know, I, I present at national and international psych conferences, and I always get the Brits that say, oh, you know, you Americans have huge amounts of PTSD. The Brits are running about 5%. What's the difference? The difference is an absolute, tragic, horrendous misrepresentation of our troops in the media. They're homicidal, suicidal, PTSD-riddled nutcases when the truth is just the opposite. If we gave one hoot in the hell about our veterans, if we gave one damn about our veterans, this persistent attack for veterans in the media should anger us right down to our socks. And, and I want your, your listeners to understand what's happening. In Vietnam, we really did spit on and attack the returning veterans. I, I wrote in my book on killing, we captured that data. You know what, I've only heard one person who was ever willing to admit that they did this. A cop told me, he said, my mom, one night my mom told me, she said, you know, I was one of the ones that spit on those veterans. We called them baby killers. She said, I'm so ashamed of what we did. But most people never say that. They'll just pretend it didn't happen, get on with life. So it was anti-war. The war was evil and these veterans were evil and they should have gone to Canada and, and they're baby killers and they're evil and they were attacked. 
Well, now the war is still evil, but now they're victims. They're victims of an evil presence, evil war, and they all have PTSD. And, and here's the biggest thing of all. We're darn good at treating PTSD. The entire myth that PTSD is an untreatable disease is, is driven by, by an anti-war dynamic. And they all have PTSD, and PTSD can never be treated. And, and the truth is just the opposite. We're damn good at treating PTSD. Uh, I, I trained a major SWAT team a while back, and during the break, they said, hey, Colonel, the doc psyched this guy off the team. Then the doc says he's okay now. Can we trust him? Yes, you can trust him. He's stronger for the experience. He's got a piece of paper that says he's sane. You got one of those? So just recognize the fact that we're... We're darn good at treating PTSD. If you have loved ones who think they're trapped in a lifetime of PTSD, you tell them medical science goes on. And no amount of money, no amount of disability is worth a lifetime of mental illness. You dedicate yourself to get better. If you had cancer, you would turn the internet inside out to find a medical breakthrough to give your life back. If you have PTSD, you turn the world upside down until you find the person you're gonna give your life back and run from anybody who tries to tell you PTSD is for life. Number one, it's politically driven. Number two, it's job security. If I can cure you in two months without a job, if I hook you to a lifetime of therapy, and maybe, maybe with a lifetime of therapy, we can adapt. No. And I want to kind of, kind of start closing things out with what I think is just the, the culminating example. Uh, 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 lone survivor, Marcus Lucrell. A lot of people know the movie, know the book. Uh, Navy SEAL, his entire team wiped out, captured, tortured. Just about any bad thing that any human being happened to that man. Marcus Luttrell has a podcast called Team Never Quit. I was on his podcast for a while, and I got his permission to talk about him. All these years, couldn't talk about him. Now I can. I trained Marcus Luttrell's unit before and after that, that, that incident. Now, the thing to understand is post-traumatic stress disorder is like being obese. Post-traumatic stress is overweight. Post-traumatic stress disorder is obese. And Marcus Utrell's doc told me, he came back from that incident, and he was 500 pounds PTSD, totally debilitated. A year later, he was 50 pounds PTSD. He wanted to deploy him this unit, and he did, and it was a good thing. I told him at the time, I said, look how far you've come in just the last year. Have confidence you can come farther. Today, Marcus Luttrell tells us he is 100% post-traumatic stress-free and stronger with experience. It took years, wasn't easy. But the culminating story of, of Lone Survivor, if that man could come out the other end, completely free of PTSD and stronger with experience, anyone can. And I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, considering the amount of trauma yeah. that he had to endure just to survive is, is so, it's unfathomable to me reading the book and watching the movie. Um, that, that makes complete sense what you said about, because Kelly Starrett, who's a, a PT and kind of like a, a optimization expert, says the same thing about the phones, not bringing the phones. His, he doesn't allow phones, uh, the blue light inside the bedrooms uh, for his kids. And then talking about um, that, now that math lines up so well about the veterans. Most of the suicides are older. I never, you told me before the podcast, like blew my mind. I was like, that makes so much sense. And we do see a large pushback of my generation of GWAT, like global war and terrorism, post 9-11 veterans pushing back on the 22 a day statistic and pushing back on the media's um, 
portrayal that our generation are a bunch of broken, violent, um, like twisted people and that we shouldn't even be allowed to own firearms. We're, you know, we shouldn't be trusted. Um, that's a very good statistic that you bring up. Um, our media, our media has an awful lot to answer for. In the Vietnam War, they really turned on our troops. In the GWAT, the media's turned on the troops with one exception, and and that's Fox. And you know, uh, uh, everybody wants to shut down Fox News. They're the only ones. They're showing the other side, but we've, we've got fourteen news, fourteen news networks on the on the left, one on the right. And all they can do is try to shut down any dissenting voice. That's where we were in Vietnam. There were three networks in Vietnam. They all attacked the war. They all cut the legs off under our troops. They, they manifest this hatred of our troops, spitting on our troops, attacking our troops. But now, instead of three networks with a monopoly on the news, we have one network that's showing the other side of the situation. And all they can do is try to shut down that one network. You said earlier that, it, that a veteran was about one-tenth as likely to commit a violent crime as a non-veteran today? Yes, a non-veteran in the same age. What would you say is that main difference between why is this such a staggeringly lower rate of veterans committing a violent crime compared to the non-veterans? We've seen this for every war. And, um, and the safeguard is discipline. Now think about this. Think about the dilemma every warrior society had to face. We take our young warriors, we give them state-of-the-art training to kill people. We give them state-of-the-art tools to kill people. We take them to distant lands. We give them years of practice at killing people. Now take them home. What's to prevent them from using their skills on their own people? And any society that didn't crack that nut would be destroyed by their own returning veterans. And every warrior society has found the same solution. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Every warrior society has distinctive uniforms, distinctive haircuts. The Mongols, or the, the, the Spartans had dreadlocks, which was cushioning for their helmets. The Russians, or, or the, the Romans were into high and tight, which is better for hygiene. The, the Mongols had the, had, the, had the forelock, the samurai had the top knot, the Brits were into the mustache. You know, the, the Amish grow a beard, they cut off their mustache, because the mustache was the symbol of a warrior, and, and the Amish are pacifists. And then the Civil War, it was all the beard, baby, Grant and, and Lincoln, and it was all the beard, you know, and, and we were the Taliban. And then we're back to high and tight. And now with the GWAT, you know, my Rangers, uh, before the war, the Rangers all stamped out of the same cookie cutter, you know, high and tight, right? Then they say, oh, you're working the tier one guys, grow it out, Roger out, cut it out, Roger out. Well, we don't care what our hair looks like. It's like some flaky freaking fashion modern. Well, well, what matters is submission to authority. The safeguard is discipline. I trained uh, 400 Canadian troops uh, just yesterday, uh, and, and I, I told them, you NCOs, you sergeants, you warrants, you are the guardian of the safeguard. The reason why these magnificent men and women that you train can go home and not represent a threat to their society is discipline. Whatever the hell the standard is, we enforce it. And, and if you cannot submit your will to authority about inconsequential things, like how you wear your hair and how you dress, give up. I'm ever expecting them to submit their will to authority about important things, like being trained to kill and never ever using that skill except under, uh, except when they're told to, under authority or in self-defense when it's appropriate. So this is the dynamic of safeguard. You know, our military, our law enforcement has really moved away from the live-in academies. 
And I think that's a step in the wrong direction. You've got to go through a transformational process. The haircuts, the uniforms, 24-7. You're in, they call it the paramilitary model. Now, we want a nine-to-five cop. You know, you show up for, for the academy at nine o'clock in the morning with the, you know, with the, with the energy drink in your hand and, and a cigarette, you know, and you sit through classes and go home at nine o'clock. That's the kind of cop. No, that's not the kind of cop you want. That, that is not going to give you a transformed human being who's vastly less likely to use his skills that are non-veteran. It's like you said, I mean, the half a million cops in the country and millions upon millions of veterans, if we really were that violent, you would see an insane amount of murders from either of those populations. On top of discipline, is it included in discipline or um, in conjunction with discipline, just the moral code that is, I guess, instilled, discipline of moral code instilled in veterans? Like, yeah. You know, I thought at West Point, and West Point has a moral core. I will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. And we, we talk moral development, moral stages at West Point. And we said, does, does West Point function at a higher moral level than most colleges? Yeah, because we got something we aspire to. Do they fall short? Sure, we're all human. You know, have you lied? Have, 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 you know, we're all human. But when we set a higher standard, even when we fall short, we're at a higher level than those who don't have a standard or for those who have a far lower standard of moral development. So when law enforcement establishes a moral code, when, when the military or West Point establishes a, a moral code, I mean, we're human, we might fall short, but the reality is that it is because of that code that we're still able to come to a higher level. And ultimately, our nation functions under one of the highest moral levels, a social contract. We swear an oath to support and defend the Constitution. We don't swear an oath to a king. We don't swear an oath to the president. We swear an oath to a, a concept, the Constitution, which is a, which is a document that can be adapted and, and changed over time with proper processes. That's called a social contract. And, and so in totalitarian nations, almost always function at level one, level two, fear and greed. Fear and greed, those are the lowest levels. The next level is shame, and then the law for the law's sake, and then comes social contract. So because we aim for a higher level, well, even when we fall short, we fall, we're, we've still got people functioning at a higher moral level than most totalitarian nations. And you look at these people and say, have you no shame? Yes, they have no shame, because that's level three. And they're functioning at level one fear and level two greed. And you take the boot heel off of Iraq, you take the boot heel of fear, and what do you get? Rampant greed. And, 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 and they have no shame. It, it's going to take a generation or two to even learn the concept of shame. So this is, uh, this is another whole field of study that is it's a truly exciting and interesting and dynamic. And we tried to weave it into on combat a little bit. Do you think, given that discussion, what do you think that well, I, we put you in charge tomorrow of the country, uh, mandatory military or civil service? Well, if I were king, number one, the first thing I would do is mandate sleep for first responders, truck drivers and air traffic controllers and airline pilots and a, and a dozen other professions require the log enough sleep that first responders aren't. Oh, we don't have enough cops. We don't have enough. Well, then pay them more. And you'll see that happen. The baseline of every civilization is public safety. And the social contract says, you pay your taxes, you obey the law, we'll keep you safe. So the baseline of every civilization 
is the social contract, public safety. Everything else is secondary. And, and if, if, if we didn't have the ability to take our first responders and burn them into the dirt, uh, well, we, we'd be paying them a whole lot more money. And they deserve it. And they earn it. But yeah, I, you know, the, the idea of, um, of, of public service, uh, the military as it stands right now does not even remotely want to see the draft come back. A two-year draft, the two-year draftee is of very little value to us. It's only when you get about two years in that you're truly a useful individual. Where they're just an average infantryman who has to know the maintenance of his vehicles and the maintenance of all of his weapons and inputting, you know, grenades and, and, and ranges and, and cruisered weapons and calling in artillery and, and all the combo procedures. You, the, the vast array of skills that, the, that an infantryman has to master. It, it isn't until the two years in they're any good to us. But we can train a pretty good border patrol agent in six months. We can train a pretty doggone good uh, 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 security, armed security like Israel in six months. And, and so I think, you know, Canada in World War II, uh, Canada was just devastated by World War I. As a ratio of the population, Canada may have been hurt more than almost anybody else in World War I. In World War II, what Canada did, they had the draft, but only volunteers were sent overseas and draftees were used internally. And I think you might see a similar model in which we will take our volunteers and send them overseas. And then we'll take this public service and not everybody's set out to be a, you know, a border patrol agent, not everybody's set out to be a security guard, not everybody is in position. We can work in the local hospital, they can work in the, they can work in the old folks home. The idea of every citizen doing two years of public service is really a pretty darn good idea. We just got to understand how they can be applied into our, our, our military and our, and our law enforcement and the needs of our nation. The, the terrorist attacks are going to come in the years to come are mind-boggling. We're going to see daycares hit. We're going to see elementary schools hit. We're going to see the need for armed guards in every school bus, armed guards in every daycare, armed guards in every... And the only way to do that is the Israeli model to train and arm everybody, arm people everywhere. And that brings us back to public safety and, and, uh, and public service and some kind of a draft. Yeah, I mean, when we look at this, this like, you know, the statistics on, I mean, I do it. I teach active shooter training for law enforcement. And otherwise, we look at the amount of active shooting occurrences. They're almost, you know, there are outliers, but most of them occur. A vast majority of them occur in states that do not easily allow their citizens to arm themselves or to possess yeah. firearms. Or locations, well over 95%, some data say 98% happen in unarmed victim zones. Even when targets, yeah. Restricted, restricted weapons, yeah. But let's, let's wrap up the day with one last thing. I mean, kind uh, of expand your mind a little bit. You just used the phrase uh, uh, active shooter. And I'd, I'd encourage everybody to stop using that phrase. Okay. Shooter is not a criminal. When we use the phrase active shooter, we say active shooter response. I tell people, we'll laugh at them and say we'd be real busy during deer season. But, but shooters are not bad guys. Uh, cops are shooters. They're murderers. And, and we talk about the this Sandy Hook shooting. What happened to the noble old word massacre? You know, you have the Boston massacre set up the American Revolution, five dead. St. Valentine Day massacre, mobsters murder seven mobsters outside Chicago. Add them up. Add up the Boston Massacre, St. Valentine Day Massacre, you still got more dead at Columbine. Double that number. And you still got more dead at Sandy Hook of Virginia Tech. 
But what, we, what we're doing, every time we call him active shooter, we're blaming it on the gun. And when a cop's a shooter, you're automatically eaten alive by the media. Shooter's bad. Shooters are bad guys. Active shooter response. Oh, you're a shooter. And, and then the cop's a shooter. And the cop's in a shooting. What we tell them, well, shooting is a word we use for the worst mass murder in American history. And if we use the word shooting for the worst mass murder in history, then when you're in a shooting, you're condemned by your own words. And it's anti-cop, anti-gun propaganda coming out of our mouths. And, and, and words, words control the debate. You talk gay or homosexual. You know, that, uh, and uh, you talk, you talk uh, illegal alien or undocumented immigrant. You talk pro-abortion or, or, or you talk, you, you talk uh, uh, pro-choice. And so if you can define the words, you can control the debate. And right now we have let the anti-cop, anti-gun people completely control the debate by calling, using the word shooting. And, and, and you know, any day now, someone's going to plow through the kids in front of the school with a vehicle 100 miles an hour. Oh, I was ready for an active shooter. Where'd that come from? He's in the news every day. Vehicles as weapons of mass murder. Put out the ballers now. If you were going to plow through your kids in front of the school, what route would you take? Block that route now. The whole active shooter dynamic traps us. We actually had, I'm told, a teacher say in a real world situation, he wasn't shooting. He's not an active shooter. I wasn't sure if the training applied. I tell people I had to be an English teacher, right? So, so words have power. Absolutely. And in Pennsylvania, slash for 21 people with knives. Last April, less than a year ago in China, in a middle school, a guy comes from middle school in China and kills nine kids with a knife. Yep. I, that wasn't in the news. Why was it in the news? Well, it's only happened in America. It's all because of our guns. And so nine dead with a knife in China, censored. Look it up. Yeah. Uh, and so the point is that we got to worry about more than just guns. Oh, and yeah. We before he fires a shot. And, uh, and we cannot blame it on the gun. We blame it on the individual. Active killer response. Active mass murder response. Uh, one, one expert in the field calls it rapid mass murder. Uh, and we're, gonna, we're responding to rapid mass murders. Uh, and, and, and so just you know, think about that. It took me a year to retrain myself and stop and use that word shooter for these, these mass murders. Yeah, you're right. Because, I mean, we're supposed to... <laughs> Hope my bosses are watching this. We're gonna supposed to call it active threat. We're not supposed to call it active shooting anymore. But that was just very recently within the year. So if it took you a few years, I can give myself a little more leeway on that one. <laughs> active threat is a far better word. Than it is. Active yeah. It's really driven driven by the conservative dynamics in our new administration. Our first word, oh, it's political. No, it's far more precise. We're gonna take action before he does any harm. You know, it could be a knife, it could be firebombs, it could be a vehicle plowing through the building. And, 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 it, and, and, and a shooter's not a bad guy. Shooters, our, our cops are shooters. We're not bad guys. Yeah. Who do you call? Who do you call when those things happen to stop them? You call good men, you know? Yes, yes. And so I think the idea of using the phrase active threat, has that come down from on higher recently? Yeah, that's been like a, for, probably for federal law enforcement has been yeah. a, a nationwide change. I'll uh, run with that one. That's a really, really good one. Yeah. The, the whole idea of active shooter is anti-cop, anti-gun propaganda coming out of our own mouth when we use that phrase. And, and you know, a lot of good things are happening with this current administration in many ways. Uh, you know, it could have gone in the other direction, but just a couple thousand votes and it would have been scary. But uh, uh, this dynamic of, of, uh, of coming out with some intelligent concepts like that, I think it's something we can get behind. Active threat, that's a great phrase. 
you know, he's a threat. He has Navy. He, we're, we're not going to wait till he kills somebody. He may have a knife. He may have a gun. He may not. And, and shooters are not bad guys. And shooting is not a criminal act. It's a constitutionally protected right. Yes, and, uh, let's run with that. What do you think? Any last things we should address before we tie it up? As a psychologist, do you, have you come across or can you think of any better sayings? Because it is a very cliche thing now to be thanked for your service. Um, Can you think of a better phrase that, you know, a lot of veterans, they hate hearing that phrase, thank you for your service. It's very like played out. Um, It's very cliche and it almost sounds, it's been used so often that a lot of times it's perceived as, as a, uh, just as a oblig- obligative statement, can you think well, of another anything? good one? Another good one is "Welcome Home." Okay, that's not a bad one. Yeah, but of course. Welcome yeah. back to welcome back to your people. Welcome back to your the people that care about you and your culture. Welcome home. But uh, I would tell you that, uh, uh, and I would encourage you and our other veterans to uh, to to recognize that it comes from the heart. You know, so many things in our and our world can only be said, you know, one way. You know, what do we do? Yes, sir. Roger out. Uh, how many ways can you say that? How many can you say that? You know, true. You know, you, you know, I, I, you know you, we see some of the morning. Good morning, sir. You know, we salute and we walk past. Huh? You know, the fact that we've said it for, for centuries doesn't make it a cliche, doesn't make it wrong. You know, we see somebody, we say hello. You know, it, it, well, this idea, I think that somehow that they're saying that uh, uh, it cheapens it. All I tell you is that uh, the Vietnam veterans would give just about anything. Yeah, that's so that is say that to them on a steady basis. That is a dark, dark blight on American history that those veterans were treated that way and were lumped in with the same yeah. decision makers that the public disagreed with and thus treated those veterans as oh, the same people. I'm getting one thing did was individual replacement. I want you to think about this. You arrived as an individual in a unit in combat. They didn't know you. They didn't trust you. Where you were the cherry, the FNG. You're going to get people killed. By the end of a year, you're the one everybody depends on. The bond among men in combat is very strong. Here's all your friends. They all depend on you, and you abandon your friends and you go home with no idea whatever became of them. Individual replacement was one of the most profoundly stupid, irresponsible things any armed forces has ever done. And you add to it the way they were spit on and attacked by the returning Americans. It is it's more than a dark blot on America. It's one of the darkest blots in military history of any civilization has ever treated their warriors. Uh, these are our best and brightest that go to war. And, and I tell you that the people are just doing the best they can. And when they tell you, thank you for your service, just take it the way it was meant. You know, there, there are some phrases that deserve to be confronted, uh, you know, active shooter right off, you know, in two sentences, I'd explain to you why that's a problem. But what's another way to say, thank you for your service, you know, welcome home. There's not too many ways to say, good morning, sir. You know, there's not too many ways. You know, I, I'm, I'm 82nd Airborne in 1974, all the way, sir, airborne. And they're still saying that. 50 years later, you know, is it wrong? Because we still keep saying the same thing. No, it's still got, it's got tower. You know, Rangers lead the way. Yeah. Whatever your unit is, uh, it, just because it, it's, it's used over and over again doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong or, or that it's become a cliche. I, I just tell you, like you said, that, you know, the Vietnam better would have given an awful lot to have had people say that to them when they came home. 
That is an incredibly good perspective. I guess we're just not used to hearing thank you or compliments while we're in service from leadership yeah. a lot. And we get home and it's almost like we get caught off guard with that. But that's yeah. such a good perspective that you know, a Vietnam veteran would have, would have loved to hear that. Um, well, you know, once again, Ricky, I honor you for your service. Uh, yep. Uh, 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 and 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 now you, you're going above and beyond with this with this this podcast and the and the and the great coffee that you're doing. <laughs> we'll send you some for sure. Yeah, don't um, go for quantity of coffee. Go for quality. Right? Don't quality for matters. Yeah, for quality. If I'm only going to have three or four cups of caffeinated coffee a day, let's make them good ones. Yeah, let's be a connoisseur. And uh, and then, by golly, when I when I'm staying up at night, you know, uh, for for, for a good, solid reason, I want to pick my coffee very carefully to get my caffeination and, uh, and put aside those sodas. You know, one soda a day is not going to kill you, mm-hmm. but if your only form of hydration sodas is like your only form of, of nutrition is candy bars. Diet sodas are worse, and please stop using those energy drinks. Try some of Ricky's coffee uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and go forth and do muddy deeds. All the sheep dogs out there that listen to your podcast, my brother. Yep. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, thank you for your time. Where can people find you on social media, on the internet? Where can they find you? You know, Killology.com is my, my website. I'm online. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman is my, uh, is my, uh, uh, my Facebook page. Uh, we, we drop nuggets on there every now and then, tell people what the latest is, link them to some of the things they're doing. My primary website is Killology.com. Now, I got a lot of new things coming up. We've got On Spiritual Combat. I'm working on right now that's going to be coming out probably next year. It's going to be just a great resource for those that are focused that direction or even interested in the whole idea of the possibility of spiritual combat on top of physical combat. Uh, we're working on a book called On Hunting, and it's going to be great. It's going to be a world-class book. Keep track of what we're doing. It'll, it'll all be listed on our website, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, on, on, our, on, our, on our website, Kilalti.com, or our Facebook page. But, uh, and, uh, and other good stuff, you know, we got our sheepdog kids book. I don't have a copy to hold up right now, but your, your listeners would love it. You know, the sheepdog kids book is primarily military and law enforcement, although it addresses others. But my civilian said, Dave, what about all civilian sheepdogs? So we, we wrote the book, why mommy carries a gun. That is, <laughs> that's amazing. Anybody <laughs> in the family, go to, go to, go to amazon.com. Look at the book. If anybody in their family, mom or dad, grandma, grandpa carries a gun. Here's what we want the kids to know. Find a gun, stop, don't touch, get an adult, four universal gun safety laws. Uh, so, you know, I, I, all of that's linked on our website. My son is a, is a world-class custom gunsmith. We've just begun the line of, of sheepdog uh, guns. Uh, I shoot every one of them. I put two magazines through it with a couple of really good tight groups to give people an idea what the gun can do. Uh, they're, 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 they're signed and, and engraved at sheepdog guns. Uh, the website for them is, uh, is uh, uh, you know, my, my son's John Grossman, sheepdognifinggun.com, sheepdognifinggun.com. And we got some neat things going on out there. And, and we try to use our, uh, our, our website and our Facebook page as kind of a, a source to let people know what's going on if they're interested. And, uh, and uh, as soon as you get this one posted, we'll let, uh, we think last I heard we got about 40,000 people on our, wow. on our Facebook page. And we'll let them all know about this, uh, this podcast. Likewise. As, yeah. I mean, it, the the children's book you said has the essay about the sheepdog, the wolves, and the and the. This one, the, the sheepdog kids book, has it in the back. 
it's a, it's a life-changing essay. I'll tell our audience, even if you don't have children, that essay made its way throughout the military and the law enforcement like it was a virus. And to read it, um, even civilians um, without kids, to read that essay is incredibly awe-inspiring because uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman lays out the biggest difference between the heroes the evil people and the regular general public, which there's nothing wrong with being that. And it is, is, it is powerful, very powerful. Um, so once again, on killing on combat, I've read both of those. I'm definitely going to read the last two books, uh, bulletproof marriage, which is going to be very important for our military and law enforcement fields because of the high rate of divorce. Definitely reading that. Um, and then you said assassination generation is probably maybe even most important book you've done to date because it affects our children, it affects the future, our nation, and our culture. Um, so thank you again. If, yeah. Iron Serpent's Iron. Thank you. Oh. Have a good one. Dude, that podcast was amazing, was it not? We have to have him back for a part two or continue that conversation. Um, it's just so important to hear that the stereotype of maybe a lot of veterans my generation coming back that they're just so much PTSD and they're unstable. Uh, there's been some politics about, you know, should veterans be able to purchase and possess firearms? Um, and then to learn, I had no idea. He told me before the podcast, I was blown away that, you know, most of that quote unquote 22 a day are, are veterans or a previous generation. That makes way more sense since, you know, we learned in that podcast that, you know, we have become so much better at inoculating our troops to actually conduct violence and lethal force that we have far less incidences of PTSD. And unfortunately, the previous generations from the Korean War, Vietnam War, World War II, they're the ones that were seeing the large majority of suicides. I think one of the biggest takeaways as well is that we typically do not see veterans who are suffering from PTSD or trauma display that anger or violence outward since we have a moral code we have discipline instilled into us the vast majority of those incidences are just from suicide which is very very sad and unfortunate but it's it's better than you know active threat mass killings outward to the public of people that we swore to uh defend at all costs but that's a really good podcast i think it's even important for people who are not veterans or active duty military just to hear the science behind the lack of sleep, social media, the blue light, violent video games and TV shows and movies and how that does affect our brain. So thank you to our sponsors and over three labs. Thank you to truest you. Thank you to all of you guys who are listening, hopefully digesting this information. Please rate us five stars on iTunes. If you believe we're worth it, Tell some friends about it. Send it to them. Share the knowledge that we look to bring to you guys. Follow us on Instagram at alpha.brew.coffee. And our website is alphabrewcoffee.com. See you guys. Stay frosty.